Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and welcome to Master Leadership, where we connect with leaders worldwide to gain insights on important topics to help us on our journey towards greater significance. If you would like to participate as a guest, or if you have a question that you would like to ask a guest, go to masterleadership.org for more information. Anthony Maluski is an investing veteran and chairman of Nickel 28, a battery metals-focused investment company with a focus on metal streaming and royalty agreements. Anthony has been active in the battery metals industry, including investing in cobalt and actively trading physical cobalt. Previously, he was a member of the investment team at Pela Investments Limited, a leading venture capital firm. Our interview will begin right after messages from our sponsors. Have you been wanting to launch your podcast and just haven't found the right resources? I launched Master Leadership Podcast in 2016, and it now ranks in top 1% globally. I've gathered all I've learned and created Master Your Podcast in a Weekend course on Master Your Swag app so that you have everything you need to share your voice with the world minus those excuses. So download Master Your Swag app on Google or Apple platforms to access the Master Your Podcast course and launch your podcast this weekend. Welcome, Anthony Maluski. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. Always excited to come and chat. I feel like we've done this before. (laughs) I think so. Thank you. I know we did this before. I forgot to press record. Yes, I did that. And you were so gracious to come on again. So I really appreciate it. Happy to have you on the podcast. Are you ready to pour into our listeners? I'm always ready. All right. So Anthony, tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now. Yeah, I I think um, everything starts with a passion or an interest. And you know, for me, that interest was really the outdoors and it was fishing and hiking and skiing. And, you know, I became deeply interested in the natural world. And that led me into the natural resource business, ironically. And, you know, initially that was coal and oil and gas. This goes back 20 years. And you know, when you're just starting out, you don't really know a lot, but, you know, through time, you kind of find your spot. And I became extremely interested in green energy the transition to a net zero future, so carbon, and these types of commodities that can really actually make a positive impact in the world that we live in. And so my path to where I am today as an entrepreneur really started off with my interest in going on a hike. And I think there's probably a message in there. You, know, you never know where the path is going to lead, as it were. I think it's important, especially for younger people who might listen, to really develop interests because, you know, no matter what your interest is, literally any interest, somebody somewhere is making a really interesting career out of that. Look, a garbage man, you're running a recycling company. Guess what? You're <laughs> flying around a private jet. You know, 
music, I mean, art, anything you can possibly, ballet, I mean, just anything you can think of, there's somebody somewhere doing something interesting. And so my observation is longevity is derived in large part from getting up and being interested intellectually in what you're doing. And that doesn't mean everything is easy. You know, there's bumps, but if you don't care, I think it's, it's pretty hard to sustain that. So following your passion is super important. I mean, I discovered that later on. I've always had passion for certain things, but, you know, back in the day, that's not what you followed. You followed the money or whatever your parents really told you. But I love this message because we need to tap into the purpose of our soul, I call it. Following your passion doesn't mean you don't work hard. You know, I was talking to my son. I have a son who's 10 and he loves to ski, that he lives for skiing. And I said, look, yeah, you know, maybe like one in a million, you can become a professional skier. But if you really like skiing, you know, get a degree in business and, and maybe go work and run a ski resort or become a cook and have a restaurant. So, you know, I don't know that you have to know the end from the beginning. In a lot of ways, it might take you a little bit to get there, but I think it's just more broadly having interests in your life. And like, they could be video games, you know, thinking about people who make video games or the art for video games. It's just Almost anything that you enjoy doing, there would be a way to turn that into a fulfilling and meaningful career. I believe that. So what is it that you're doing now? So we're doing a couple of things. One of the things that I'm doing is I'm the chairman of a nickel company and we produce nickel. It's called MHP. It's a type of nickel that goes into uh, batteries for electric vehicles primarily. And then, you know, something else that I've really only got involved in in the last few years is carbon and carbon credits. And so it's kind of a really interesting, and, and while it's been around for 10 years, it's really been rapidly developing over the last few years. And, you know, there's a bunch of different types of credits, but one of the types of credits that interests me most are called nature-based solutions. And those are credits that you can get from planting a forest, preventing one from being cut down, saving mangroves, a bunch of these different types of projects that in some way or another benefit the environment. And so from my perspective, no project is perfect. And by the way, the best way to reduce our carbon footprint is to reduce just consumption of things in our life. But notwithstanding that, I think that the idea of creating these credits through preserving uh, wildlife and nature is really intriguing. And I've been really heavily involved in that over the last few years. So carbon credits, I wasn't aware of this until I actually met you. I didn't know what this was. Tell us a little bit more about it and how we can connect with you to learn more. Yeah, so the best way to connect with me is probably just Twitter. I mean, that's that's the easiest. But what I would say is, you know, there's some great infographs. If you Google carbon infograph, there's some really interesting infographs. But I, I would think about it like this. There are really two carbon markets in the world in the highest level. One is a regulated market. So the government of California or the EU says, if you make widgets, you have to buy this number of offsets. So that's one type of market. But that's not the type of market that you and I interact with most. You know, whenever you see Delta Airlines for $7.95, you can offset your carbon footprint. Or, you know, we're going to be net zero Coca-Cola by 2030 or 50 or whatever. You know, those types of pledges are really voluntary pledges. And those credits come from the voluntary markets. And there are a bunch of different types of credits, as, as we discussed, you know, cook stoves and um, solar and all these different credits, and they all have their place. But particularly interesting, I find 
are the nature-based credits because the way I look at it is if the worst thing that happens is, you know, a million acres of rainforest gets saved, well, that's okay with me, right? So there are criticisms and it gets politicized like everything in America in particular about these systems, these credits. But what I would observe is that we have two choices. One is to do nothing, just sit here and watch the world go by. And the other choice is to do something. And I think that the carbon credit system is a great transition to a future where hopefully people are consuming less goods and the consumption of the goods that we do consume is less carbon intensive. And so ultimately the fix here is not carbon credits. The fix is just consume less stuff. When you're making widgets, have that be a less impactful process. But between now and then, and, and then it's you know, at least 30 or 40 years away, we should try. You know, I think one of the things about the world we live in is there's so much negativity in general. Like you go turn on CNN, Fox News, CBS, pick your channel. And I promise you there's some negative story. And I would just say that that's overwhelming for a lot of people. Yeah. And, you know, carbon credits is a little bit about the nature-based credits, a little bit about hope, a little bit about trying, and it's about doing something instead of nothing. That's right. And now as leaders, we are lifelong learners. And so what is it that you're learning right now? You know, there's sort of all these things that come along with this that you start to learn in particular about how ecosystems work. And one of the things which I've kind of been reading quite a bit about are the salmon in the Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because in a way they're a canary in the coal mine because these salmon, they go up and they spawn in these really cold water creeks that for millennia had forests coming down into them and the water was cool. And what you've seen in, you know, really since they put the hydroelectric dams on the Columbia River is a precipitous fall in the number of salmon. And it's kind of just been interesting to learn about how that species of fish really um, is a great indicator of health for watersheds and ecosystems. And, you know, we don't always think about that, but I think it's true probably for a lot of different animals when you go somewhere and you don't see any wildlife or birds or deer, whatever should be there. You have to ask yourself, you know, what is going on in this ecosystem? It's not allowing it to function properly and to have the type of wildlife and biomass that you would anticipate should be there. Anthony, were you always this conscious about the ecosystem? Do you, no, was, I, I would say no. As a kid, no, I don't think you're aware of it, but I find the debate inside of America so strange. And I'll give you the example. You know, people talk about global warming. Is it real? Is it fake? And like, let's not talk about that. Let's just make the example more simple. If I said to you that every morning I was going to get up and dump a bunch of trash into your bedroom, just whatever came in and dump it in there. Do you want to sleep in that bedroom? Like, no. In right. fact, no one who's being honest is going to say yes. Right. And I mean, that's what we're doing to the ocean every day. Ships go out and they just dump, you know, whatever they've got in straight into the ocean. You know, we go out and we, I mean, find the laws have changed and the rules have changed, but historically we've logged straight up to the streams. And so I think this idea in American history, you know, manifest destiny, right? Like this idea of going and taking from the land and it's probably impacted the way that we think about our environment. And, you know, it's time to rethink that and realize that even if you don't believe in global warming at all, you don't believe in carbon. And, you know, I meet these people find, you know, the one thing that every human being that's ever lived has in common is that they were all born and died on earth. So if we don't do something, you know, anything is better than nothing. And, you know, it feels overwhelming, 
don't buy a plastic bag at the grocery store, bring a cloth one. You know, it doesn't have to be some revolutionary thing that you're doing. I mean, you can take a baby step and it can be anything and it's better than nothing. Mm -hmm. I think that kind of back to my point earlier, I think we're kind of made to feel like we're so overwhelmed and it's so bad. And yeah, maybe it's not great, but at the same time, that shouldn't prevent anyone from doing anything that you can. And that can be just the smallest thing because that's better than doing nothing, in my opinion. As leaders taking responsibility for how we take care of our home, our surrounding, our environment. Well, I mean, look at what's going on right now at Davos. I don't know if you've seen the pictures, but, you know, the annual conference in Switzerland, like everyone's flying in on a private jet. And, you know, fine, I get the rationale. Oh, I'm so important. I've got to fly there on a private jet. But do you really? I mean, you, you couldn't hop on Delta's flight to Geneva or whatever is the airport, you know. And so I think unintentionally, and I think that these people who attend are not. Uh, intentionally sort of have ill will or bad will. But the reality is if you are the person setting the message for a country or a company, I think you have to think about it. And like this notion that all these global leaders are sitting in Davos off of private jets, like that's not a great example when you're going to talk about the environment and amongst other things. And who advises these people? (laughs) It's like, come on. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. You're right. Um, And so You know, I want to continue to dive into leadership. So Anthony, share with us a challenge or struggle that you learned from as a leader. I'll tell you, this is a bit of a different pace than we've been talking about, but Mm -hmm. I think it's the need to really delegate and have confidence that people are delegating to. I think that's really hard, the more senior you grow in an organization to do, because especially if you're in a larger organization, you're trying to move up you know, whatever happens is ultimately a reflection of you if you're the right. one who's answering for that thing. And so I think there's a tendency not to delegate. And I would suggest that not delegating in part is the leader's fault because they haven't helped develop their team to a level that gives them confidence that they're actually going to deliver the things that they're going to delegate to that person. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you through time, I've had to learn that because I've often not delegated as much as should have. I think just in general for leaders and and people who are kind of coming up through, you got to think about that. If you're responsible for this team and you're not prepared to delegate whatever this thing is to them, then you probably need to think about, have you built the right team? Are you taking the right amount of time to develop whatever the skill set is? I think that's a pretty important skill set. You know, delegating is something that is hard for a lot of people, especially as entrepreneurs, because we start off as solopreneurs and then we have to learn that skill set, right? Totally. Like, yeah, that's exactly it. It's the, the nature of it is do everything. But, you know, I think it's going to get harder and it's going to be more important because this idea that everyone's working from home between two and at some places five days a week, I think it's harder because there just is an element of knowing that person having a lunch, a coffee. I'm going for a run. There's just this social element. You know, we are social creatures at the end of the day. Right. right. And I wonder through time, you know, how this will evolve and how people will kind of meet on that level. Because I really think that it's important to still continue to have in-person meetings when it makes sense for your particular business. No, absolutely. That connection is important. Valuing other people is important. And this delegation is important too, because you learn a couple of things. You learn that you don't have to be in control of everything. You don't have to micromanage. You also give space for other people to grow, a really important aspect of leadership. So Anthony, we have a question here from a former guest. Are you ready? I'm ready. (laughs) So Anthony Hughes wants to know, How do you elevate others around you in your quest 
to fulfill your mission or your vision? So everyone is different. I find that team building activities are really critical, especially now more than ever. You know, whether that's a picnic, uh, whether that's a softball game, a concert, you know, I mean, it can be anything, but I really think that part of elevating you is really also knowing and having that person feel like you're interested in their success. And I kind of would like this under the military. The military's done a lot of research on this. And one of the things that they've determined is that soldiers are actually ultimately fighting for their brothers, like the other soldiers that are in their immediate group. And I don't think that's so dissimilar to work. You know, if people are friendly, doesn't mean you have to be best friends, but if they're polite and, you know, it's cordial and there's a certain level of camaraderie, I think that really enables everyone to kind of feel more safe and potentially help others come up. And I really disagree with the leadership style or an environment where it's completely sterile and there's no ability for people to interact at least from time to time on a more social, personal level. And so tell me, your organization, is it online? Do you meet in person? Yeah, I know. I mean, look, historically, we've met, met in person, but right. uh, it continues to be primarily virtual. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that we'll get to a point where that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that just means that we have to make more of an effort to meet up from time to time and go through things. Yeah. And so but what are some tips that you can give us on how to connect with people, even though it's virtual? Look, I, I don't claim to be an expert, but I think it's just like anything else. I think engaging on a personal level doesn't have to be so personal, right? But just having this basic engagement that's not all business is really important for morale and for, I think, every aspect of it. You know? And of course, depending on the profession and, and a bunch of different things that can look differently. But to think that it's all just going to be business on Zoom, and I think that's contrary to human evolution and uh, kind of our core uh, makeup. I completely agree. And being okay with the kids running by on the Zoom meeting, you know, just remembering we're all connected and we're all striving to be better. All right. So Anthony, as a listener of this podcast, do you have a question for a future leadership guest to respond to? Like, what are you curious Um, about? I would be interested to learn if they're thinking about their carbon footprint and if they are, what they're doing about it. And where can they go for more information? They may be thinking about it now. There's a lot of resources. You can go to Vera, uh, you can go to Carbon Streaming. You can follow me on Twitter, talk about it a lot. That's Anthony Miluski, M-I-L-E-W-S-K-I on Twitter. All right. So is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Thank you very much for having me and for your time. All right, Anthony, thank you so much for thank coming. You for having me. <laughs> thank Cheers. you. Bye-bye. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.